right, 2 Corinthians here this morning, if you have your Bible. And uh, let's look there back into chapter 13. And uh, we'll begin reading there in that verse 1. And uh, we'll read down to verse 5. I want to preach this morning, is Jesus in or not? Is Jesus in or not? Now tonight I want to preach on, I'm going to encourage you to come, I tell you already, I want you to come tonight. We'll have the Lord's Supper and uh, we'll take that communion with God tonight and as a church. And then not only that, but we'll preach out of verse 6 tonight on, on, on about are you or can you prove that you're not a reprobate? And so this is an important thought here this morning. So let's stand to our feet in honor of God's Word. And let's read here chapter 13, verse 1. And our main verse will be verse 5. And uh, we will finish this up this morning. But it's a mighty, important, and sobering thought about a reprobate. We see in verse 1, This is the third time I am coming to you in the month of two or three witnesses. In the mouth of one or two, three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned. And to all other that if I come again, I will spare not, or not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves. How? that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you again, Lord, for the reading of your word. God, thank you for our Sunday school this morning, Lord. It was sound. Thank you, Lord, for our announcements and uh, Brother Charles and what he said was sound. And, and Lord, if that's all we had this morning, I would say that I've met with God already. And it's been good. And I thank you, Lord, for the truth that has been given to us this morning by the way of the Word of God. I pray now, Lord, that you'd open our eyes and hearts that we might see uh, something tonight, this morning, dear God, that might draw us unto thee. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be serious enough about our soul that we would examine ourselves this morning to see whether we're in the faith and prove ourselves so that because of what Paul has said, God, we must abide. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for loving us, and we appreciate the scripture that you've given to us by the way of Paul. God, have your way now in our hearts and our lives. Save the, save the lost today. Touch the saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul comes to chapter 13. He comes after a discovery. So I want to talk about the discovery of Paul. Now we preached on some of this already, but I'll be quick on that. But the discovery of Paul, the reason why Paul would make such a, a request uh, to the church, the church of Corinth in verse 5, examine yourselves, is because of discovery. He discovered some things. He discovered uh, the church was in disunity. 
That is in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and verse 10 and 13 and 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. And so the church was in disunity. He discovered that. That's why he would say, examine yourselves. Number two, he discovered that the church was in disarray. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. They were going to court against each other. They were, they were not taking the wrong for each other. They were coming up against each other out into the unbelievers. They were trying to get the unbelievers to take care of the church's problems and issues. And, and we shouldn't do that, and shouldn't they? So they found a disarray. Thirdly, a discovery church was in division. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 all the way down to chapter 16. We find up many things that we preached already all we're not covered today, but there was a division in the church. And then fourthly, we found the church is in, is in depravity. We found in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, there was folks in the church who were committing incest. There was church in chapter 6, there were people in the church that were having sexual immorality. We find in chapter 12, uh, right here, right above verse 13, or chapter 13, we find that the church was uh, in sin. We can read that there in verse uh, 20. He said, lest there be debates and envyings and wraths and strives and backbitings and whisperings and swellings and tumults. Verse 21, he says, uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness, which they have committed. And so he discovered that the church is not only in disunity and disarray and division, but it's in depravity. It was sin. It was incest. It was unrepentance. We find in chapter, 20, in chapter 12, verse 21, and have not repented. And so the church is a mess. The church is acting as if they have not met God. They're acting as if they have not the Spirit of God. Uh, they were behaving and their characteristics and their practice of life was revealing to Paul and that's why he said, I don't even know if you're saved. Do you know that church tonight or today that the way you live and your lifestyle and the things that you say and the behavior you betray and the characteristics that you have, friend, it reveals who you are. Uh, many a time, it's not what you say. It's not what you think. It's not what you hope. It's not what you wish. It's what you walk. And now Paul is looking at the church's walk, and he says, I'm discovering some things that just, to me, I need to kind of request of you. Uh, are you even saved? And then he noticed, fourthly or fifthly, the church was in, in doubt. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter or 2 Corinthians 13, 3. He says, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me. They were in doubt of Paul. They were in doubt of Paul's apostleship. They were in doubt of Paul's authority. They were in doubt of Paul's being authentic. They're saying, Paul, we don't believe in you. And Paul says, I don't believe in you. They said, Paul, listen, we don't, all that you say and all the authority you have and all the things in which you say you're genuine and you're real and you say that you know God and you say that you're a follower of Christ, we are in doubt of that, Paul. And Paul, in return, says to them, examine yourselves, whether you're in the faith. Prove yourselves. No. No. In yourselves. For Christ dwelleth in you, except you be reprobates. And boy, I'm telling you, Paul, discovery is frightening for the church age today. We see number two. Not only was there the discovery of Paul, but I noticed the doubt of Paul. 
When Paul said, examine yourselves, whether you're in the faith, uh, that their scripture, speaking there in uh, the faith there in verse 5, it means this this morning, it means fixed, a fixed foundation. And so Paul was asking the church of Corinth, he said, I need you to examine yourselves, and I need for you to examine yourselves. Are you fixed in the cross? Because he, he taught that in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. He said, are you fixed in the foundation? He taught that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Are you fixed in salvation? He taught that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, are you fixed in the gospel? He taught that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Are you in the faith? Are you really in the faith? Are you in? Are you fixed? Are you fixed in the virgin birth of Christ? Are you fixed in the sinless life of Jesus? Are you fixed in the death of Christ? Are you fixed in the burial of Christ? Are you fixed in the resurrection of Christ? He taught all that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Are you fixed in the Lord Jesus Christ? He said we have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you fixed in that? And so the question for you and I this morning is this. Are you in the faith? Are you fixed? Are you fixed this morning or can you be moved? Are you fixed this morning or can you be persuaded? Are you fixed this morning or some just some situation or some broken relationship or some tragedy or something would happen amongst your life and in your life that would cause you to move? Are you fixed this morning? Paul is saying to them, are you fixed in the faith? Listen, can anything or everything move you from the faith this morning? Examine yourselves. Are you fixed? He says, are you in the faith? Not do you have faith. That's not the question this morning. Do you have faith? Uh, That has nothing to do with anything that we're speaking of this morning. It's not do you have faith. Because many people say, are you in the faith? And then you say, well, I believe. We're not asking that. Are you fixed in the cross? Are you fixed in salvation? Are you fixed in Christ? Are you fixed on the faith this morning? Not do you have faith. Number two, not only not do you have faith, but not do you live by faith. That's not the question. The question is, are you in Christ? Not that you live by faith. In other words, this morning, what Paul was saying to the church, are you in Christ? Are you in the church? Are you in Christianity? Are you in Christ? Are you in the church? Are you in Christianity? You know, we, we sometimes kind of make little statements like this from time to time. We say, you know what? That guy there, he's in it. You ever heard that before? You'll find somebody doing something or somebody's involved in something. Somebody might be a habit. It might be a hobby. It might be something in which they're involved in. And when you watch that individual do whatever they do, you say, boy, they're really into that. Right? That's sort of like terminology we use. Paul's trying to use that terminology here. And he's saying, are you in the faith? Are you really in to Christ? I mean, are you really in Christ? I mean, when you get up in the morning, man, are you in it? I mean, are you into him? 
Are you into his word? Are you into his spirit? Are you into his fellowship? Are you into his relationship? Are you in it? So people might see you throughout the day and say, I'm going to tell you something about that guy. He's into it. Into what? He's in the faith. He's in Christ. Hey, are you in the church? You say, I'm sitting in it right now, bro. Can't you see me? I'm not talking about that at all. Are you into it? I mean, is it something that you're in? You say, bro, I'm in it. I'm in it all the way. I'm in it for it's good, for it's bad. I'm in it for it's health. I'm in it for it's poorness. I'm in it. I will not let it go. I will not let it die. I will not let it go off. I will not let it go bad. I'm in it. Not that you show up. Not that you just give money. Not that you just do something while you're here. But are you in it? I mean, say, listen, I am in the church. I'm in Christ. But are you in Christianity? Are you in what Christianity stands for? Are you in what Christianity is? Are you in what Christianity believes? Are you in it? Are you in it for the good? Are you in it for for even a, a suffering? Are you in it? See, Paul's saying to them, examine yourselves. Are you in the faith? Are you in it? So Paul has now not only discovered some things, but Paul has some doubt of things. Are you in it to win it? Are you in the church to win it? Are you trying to win your church over? Are you in a church here and say, you know what? I'm just not going to come. I'm going to be of. I'm going to be the church. You can't just count me as somebody just showing up one day. I'm in it. I'm for it. I give to it. I'll fight for it. I'll battle to the end. I'll pray for it. I'll support it. I'll do anything and everything I can for Christ and the church and Christianity. You can count me in, brother. Amen. That's what we need this morning. You better examine your heart. Examine today, see whether you're in the faith. Are you in it to finish? Are you in it to become? Oh, I say to you, secondly, that Paul not only has discovery, but I notice he has a doubt, but I also notice he has a demand. He said, prove. He says, you say you're in the faith, you say you're in it, You say you're in the church, you're in Christ, you're in Christianity. You say you're in it to win it. You say you're in it to finish it. You say you're in it to become it. Prove it. Now, that's pretty tough, isn't it? I mean, when you talk to people and they say, well, uh, I love you, and you say, I love you too, and then the one says, well, then prove it. Boy, that puts the feet right there to the ground, right? That puts the rubber on the road. I mean, talk is cheap, smoke and blowing is easy. But friend, when you say you love or I don't love or I like or I want you or I want to be part of you or I want to do that, I want to buy a car. You mean you go to a dealership, you say I want to buy that car. Hey, boy, that'd be a great car. Do you have the money? Oh, yeah, I got the money. No problem with the money. Oh, yeah, boy, I want that. What color do you want? You go through all that Rick and Monroe. At the end of the day, they say, okay, sign here. And they say, prove it. Sign here. Right? We are finding through life today, you say something and Paul says, you say you're in the faith? Prove it. Prove it. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. If you say you're in the faith, and I'm in it to win it, and if somebody said to you this morning, prove it, what would you do? How would you prove it? 
Would you prove it by saying, you just have to believe me? Does that sound like proof to you? No. <laughs> you just have to trust me. Well, you know what? You, you just don't know my heart. Man, I hope nobody in this room ever uses that phrase. God knows my heart. He does know your heart and it's wicked. And it's, boy, I tell you, it's defiled this morning. If anybody, the Bible says, a fool trusteth in his own heart. He better hope this morning uh, that God knows your heart. But your heart is not what you think it is this morning. Your heart is desperately wicked. And then the scripture says, who can know it? You don't even know your heart. And we find this morning, as we look at the proof of that we're in the faith this morning, what would you do? How can you prove it? How can you prove this morning what he says to do? Well, I noticed you'd have to prove that you're in the faith because you'd have to connect to the faith. Right? I mean, there's going to have to be something in your life that connects you to what you say you are. Or you're full of baloney. Right? You're fake and not real. There's got to be a connection that brings you to faith and that connection is connecting to faith in order to prove it. Number two, to prove it, you're going to have to have a commitment to faith. To prove it. Commitment. I'm committed to faith and that brings me to the proof that I am in the faith because my commitment is in faith. Not is there a connection and a commitment, but thirdly we notice that there is a conversion or a converting to the faith. In other words, that, that not only am I connected to it, I'm committed to it, but I am totally converted to it. At one day I wasn't, but now I am. At one day I didn't care about it, but yet today I care a whole lot about it. And there's been some change in my heart according to the faith. And so there's a proof of that matter. So how do you prove yourselves? Well, you you prove it, number one, uh, uh, by your words that will equal with your walk. Right? Number two, you could prove it with your works. What are you doing? How are you living? What happens on Monday? Where do you go on Saturday? And when you do miss church, uh, is it something that you're pretty much uh, okay with? Works. Words. How about walk? How do you walk? See, proving things in your life is seeing how you walk about those things. How do you walk? Where do you walk? When do you walk? Why do you walk? We find, fourthly, prove it by your ways. The things that you do, the little ways in which you have, uh, the, little, the little attitude in which you have, uh, the, where, the spirit in which you do it in. Fifthly, you prove it by your wisdom. What you're thinking of it. How do you process it? When somebody asks you, well, I missed you on Sunday night, and you say to them, uh, why do you ask me that you, why do you tell me you missed me? And that, does that mean that I need to tell you where I was? And that, that means I got to come to church on Sunday night? That means that if, if I'm not going to come to church on Sunday night, I'm not a very good Christian? Uh, there's a problem with your thinking already. Somebody just, just said to you, I, I missed you. Sure. 
And all of a sudden you go through all this process about them people kind of judging you and kind of putting you in a position. You feel awful about it because some people are assuming that you're not going to come to church on Sunday night because you're just not a good Christian. The wisdom there. So we find that this proving has five areas. Words, works, walk, ways, and wisdom. And Paul is saying to them uh, concerning this proven, you say, if you even say that you are in the faith, then you're going to prove it. And have we already probably determined this morning, even by last Sunday, that all that Paul has discovered would reveal that their ways, their walk, their words, their works, and their wisdom, something's wrong. Right? So we find that Paul says, if you're in the faith and what I have seen of it so far, you haven't proved to me, but you need to prove your own selves. Right? And so we find, and Paul is bringing a demand to prove yourselves. And then we notice here the discernment of Paul. He says, know ye not your own selves. That's the discernment of Paul. So Paul was looking at them and saying, I see all your lives. I want you to examine you in the faith. And then I want you to prove it. But then thirdly, I want you to know. I want you to know yourselves. Not do I question whether you're in the faith, but I question whether you know your own selves. Does that make sense? There's a multitude of people today that say they're in the faith and they do minimal and they really are not in the faith but in their own heart, in their own mind because they prayed a prayer at the age of six or they've been baptized at the age of 12 or they grew up in church or they made some sort of mental ascent to the things of Jesus that somehow, some way, uh, all the five proofs do not prove that they're Christian uh, but in their mind, in their imagination, they are Christian and Paul is just saying, listen, I want you to know yourselves. I want you to know who you are because a lot of people think they are and they're not it's going to be a rude awakening someday one day when you live as if you can you imagine those people that came to Jesus and said to Jesus we have done many mighty works and wonderful works in your name we have raised the dead we have cast out demons And Jesus looked him square in the eyeball and said, Depart from me, you you workers of iniquity. Can you imagine the shock in their mind? Can you imagine the shock in their heart? Whenever they said, We've done many miracles, works, we raised the dead, we we even uh, cast out demons, and he says, I don't even know who you are. Off into eternity of hell. I'd hate for anybody in this room to find yourself on the last day of your life, to find yourself breathing for the last time in this side. And as soon as you close your eyes and you breathe your last breath, and in hell you lifted up your eyes thinking you were going to heaven. What kind of preacher would I be this morning if I would just kind of throw that off and say, you know what, that's between you and God. Yeah. 
I'd kick me out of the church. I'm letting you know this morning, do you know yourself? Let's just get honest. Let's stop fooling around. Let's take, stop taking all the things that we might use as a crutch and all the things that we might want to uh, kind of hook ourselves on to think that, that, you know what, I am what I say that I am. But no, let's get really down to the nitty-gritty. Are you real? Know yourself. Are you deceived about you? Are you blinded about you? Are you ignorant about you? Let's not kid ourselves this morning. You know. You know whether you're in the faith this morning. You know. You know this morning, can you prove it? You know. And this morning, you know whether you're saved. So, let's stop trying to be saved. Let's stop acting as if we are. Let's stop trying to bring forth all these things behind us that can prove to something for us presently so that we can move forward as a Christian. And let's just stop kidding ourselves and say, you know what? This morning, I've got to know. I'm not walking out of this building. I'm not getting out of my chair. I'm not getting out of my pew. I'm not walking out of the presence of this church without I know that I know that I know that I know that if I die, I'd go to heaven. Paul saying, let's not kid around. Paul saying, let's not hide ourselves. That word know means recognize. You recognize it. You recognize your life this morning. You recognize that you come to church and, and you, you come to the house of God and when you get out of the house of God, you leave out of here the same as you came in. And you want to blame the preaching and you want to blame the singing and you want to blame the people, but really you're the common denominator between all that. Right. You, you know uh, in the way of leaving out of here and you partake of some drink that you know you're not up to drink. You speak words that are not supposed to be spoken out of the lips of Christ. You've got attitudes and spirits, friend, uh, that is not succumbing to what God would have you to be. You've got bitterness, unforgiveness, and jealousies, and hatred, and anger, and friend, you find yourself in these places, and it doesn't bother you at all. You know. You know. You know praying is not something you like to do, nor do you do. You know reading your Bible is not something that you have a desire to or desire to get into. You just don't have it. And you make statements like this, well, I'm not a very good reader. Red light. Red light. He said, well, I just can't comprehend. Red light. Red light. You say, well, you know what? I just can't, I can't just set, have a setting for over like five minutes and just concentrate. I just can't concentrate on reading the Word. There's so many distractions, so many things that run through my mind and my heart. I just can't stay on track. Red light. Amen. That's right. Well, you know, I just can't come to church. You know, brother, you preach over an hour. 
You know, I just can't come back to church tonight because one hour on Sunday morning is enough for me. Man, if I get one hour on Sunday morning and that for my soul to be fed and for the spiritual food that I can get, one hour a week is plenty for me. Red light. That's right. Amen, brother Larry. Huh? Oh, man. I rob God every Sunday. I don't give God 10% belongs to the Lord. I don't even account my money given to missions. So go all around the world that folks can be saved. And you walk out of here as a God robber and you go home and eat fried chicken and you eat your mashed potatoes with brown gravy and you get some corn and cob and with an apple cobbler as well with a big glass of tea and you lay your head down and take a nap. Red flag! I knew it'd be quiet this morning. Red flag. Know yourself. Know yourself. Know yourself. Everywhere you go, there's arguments and fights and quarrels. Everywhere you go, it's everybody else who's done what they did. It's never you. Every time there's some situation that goes on, you're in the middle of it, but you're never the cause of it. Red flag. Red flag. Someone has to always tell you, stop it now. That's enough now. You went too far now. Would you please stop talking about that? Would you quit now? Please, I'll ask you. I've asked you several times not to talk about that. I've asked you many times not to behave like that. I've asked you so many times to stop doing what you're doing. You know what? Red flag. You got a problem. Let's know ourselves this morning. He said, let's know it. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not hide ourselves. Let's, let's not uh, to the place this morning where we trick ourselves or we ignore ourselves. Uh, that word know there means you are thoroughly acquainted with you. Paul says, know yourselves, thoroughly acquainted with you. Yeah. Know you. Know you. Let me ask you a question. This is kind of stemmed toward marriage. But if you know you, like you know you, would you marry you? Let me say that again. If you know you, like you know you, would you marry you? Is that a, is that a thought? Yes. Is that a real question? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know what I would say? Probably everyone in this room, if not everyone, the majority of us would say, no. I am not looking for somebody like me. I'm so glad that all the experts and all the smart people and all the educated people and all the institutional people and all the people in all the world that can get on Facebook and Twitter, I mean X, uh, and get onto uh, any other social uh, gathering, they say this, the opposites attract. Glory to God. I don't have to marry somebody like me. How do you think the other folk fell now? The one who's married to you. Or the one who might be getting married. I kind of got off course right there, but I thought it was a good question anyway. 
The word know there means you know very accurately about you. Accurately. Very thoroughly. So I can say to you this morning, there are things that you know about you that I don't know. And there's some things about you that your spouse or your mother and father don't know. And there's some things about you that very little may know. And there may be some things about you that nobody else knows but you. Paul saying, know yourself. That word also means, know means you know quite well. You know quite well. So as Paul was looking to that church and he said, I found some things about y'all and, and I've got some demands to make of you and, and I, I've got some doubt of you. He said, there's some also that I got some discernment to you as well and that is you need to know yourselves because the very next statement he makes, and here I'm gonna start preaching right here. He says, this is sobering. If you don't hear anything else this morning but you hear this, then you got what you need to hear. He said this. He said, Christ, Jesus Christ, dwell in you, except you be reprobates. So here's a funnel, and he funnels it all down, and he funnels it to one simple thought. Is Christ in you? Or you're reprobate. How about all the things I do? Is Christ in you? How about all the knowledge I've got? Is Christ in you? How about all the money and all the things and all the projects I did for God? Christ in you. Oh, how about all the love I got for the church and the love I got for the people and the love I got for the King James Version Bible and the love for the traditional hymns and the love that I have for the world. Christ dwells in you. It boils down to this simple thought here. Is Christ in you or not? And if Christ is not in you this morning, you're a reprobate. Is that true? Let me read. I think it's true. I think it's in the Bible. He says, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So if Christ is not in you this morning, you're a reprobate. Brother, that's offensive. Well, I hope it's so offensive that you change your mind and heart. Because if it doesn't do anything to you but it causes you to be offensive, you're going to die and go to hell rejected, unapproved, and worthless. Does anybody in this room want anybody in this room to be a reprobate? No. But everyone who Christ is not in is a reprobate. I believe today many churches have many people who are reprobates. 
Not because they're mean and ugly and, and wicked and all that kind of stuff that we want to bring upon these reprobates, which all that has something to do with that too. But friend, just the very fact, Christ's not in you. You're a reprobate. So, brother, you say there's only two types of people then, reprobates and non-reprobates. Yep. And more simple terms, Christ in you, Christ not in you. So all this other stuff, all this other smoke, all this other things, all these other ideas, all these other beliefs, all this other uh, maybe opportunities are no longer involved. It's this this morning. Examine yourselves. You're in the faith. Prove yourselves. Know yourselves. Is Christ in you or you're a reprobate? Now, what does it mean, Christ in you? Well, let me give that to you. Number one, if you would go to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it gives a pretty good idea about what Paul was saying about himself versus what does it mean to have Christ in you? How that Christ Jesus is in you. Galatians 2.20 says, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. And so what does he call it? He calls it the next two, three, three words, and the life. So when Christ is in you, there's called the life. Now what does it mean that Christ in you is the life. Well, this is what it means this morning. That when Christ is in you, He replaces you. There is no cohabitation in you. God takes you and removes you and Christ is now in you. You not in you. He's in you. When you're in there, he's in there. He's not in there. But if he was in there while you were in there, that's too much closeness and there's not enough room. So in order for Christ to be in you, you have to be replaced. Wow. Does that mean, Brother Larry, that, that I don't really have much to do with the life that I live? That's about right, yes. When you have Christ in you, it's about Him, not about you. You're no longer there. You've been removed. You're no longer in present. It's your body, but Christ dwelleth in you. It's about Him and Him alone. It's about what He chooses for your life. It's about what He has to do with your life. It's about Him and all that He desires to do. It's about Him and His thought and His profit and His benefit. And it's about His doctrine. It's about His wisdom, about His mission, about His world, about His life. It's not about your life. Christ in you means you've been replaced. No, we're not cohabiting together. 
No, I, he's not in the airplane and he's got the, he's got the wheel or whatever and he's the pilot and I'm the co-pilot. You know what? There's no such thing as that. Yeah. I heard some of y'all say that before. Oh, I'm in the plane with Jesus and I'm just a co-pilot and he's the pilot. Well, you're in the wrong plane. The plane he's in, he's the pilot. It's about him. It's his life. It's a life that he has saved, a life he has indwelt, a life that he resides in. It's a life that he dwells with. It's not about you, my friend. Boy, I tell you, we find when you get to this kind of preaching, it doesn't get comfortable, it gets uncomfortable. It's about him, it's for him, it's in him. You're removed, you've been released. Think about that for just a moment. You're in you, and you're full of sin, and you're full of selfishness. And you cry out to Jesus, oh Jesus, forgive me, and come into my heart and save me. He says, I'll do that. But if I do that, you've got to be removed. Are you sure that you want me to come in and live? For when I come in and live, you're no longer there. I'm going to release you. I'm going to tell you, get on out of here. I'm going to tell you, I no longer need you. I'm no longer looking to you. I'm no longer counting on you. I don't need you to pray. I don't need you to do nothing. You just need to leave out of here and let me be here. Does Christ, is Christ in you? Have you been removed? Are you still kind of working with Jesus? Uh, Me and him have got it going on. Me and him right now, we're in council. Right now, me and him are determined what we're going to do going forward. Hmm. Friend, that's not how it works with Christ in you. No. When Christ come in here, goodbye. <laughs> Adios, amigos. <laughs> right? Amen. See you later. That old side, that old thing. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile, pretty soon, raccoon. <laughs> you ever said that? You say, as for children, I bet you want to say it right now, but you just won't because you, you know, I'm an adult. I don't say things like that. The point I'm trying to make is this. Is Christ in you? What does that mean? That means you've been replaced. Have you been replaced? I'm marrying who I want to marry. I'm going to church where I want to go. I work where I want to work. I drive what I want to drive. I eat what I want to eat. I wear what I want to wear. <laughs> Where's Jesus? I thought he was in you. So like to me, you're still, you're still kind of working it. You're still kind of running it. You, you're running the show. He ain't going to be in there and you in there. Both of y'all ain't going to be in there. Either he is or he ain't. The Christ in you means he's replaced you. There's a verse there in that Galatians 2.20, in the life that I now live. He relinquishes you. You're released, you're relinquished, you're removed. Number two, not as Jesus Christ replaced you, and that's what it means in the way of Christ in you, but he reserves you. Now that reservation can be seen in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. One of my favorite verses of the scripture, it says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
So none does Jesus Christ replace you. You're no longer in there anymore. He reserves you. What does that mean? That means for to me to live is Christ. That means my body now and my spirit and my soul is reserved for Jesus to live his life in me. In other words, when I got saved, it's no longer living a life as a Christian. But when I got saved, it's Jesus Christ living his life through a Christian. For to me to live is Christ. And the only reason I'm still standing, the only reason I'm still breathing, the only reason why I still go is because Jesus Christ that dwells in me is living his life. He lived 33 and a half years on this earth. But in you, he'll live as long as you live. And then he'll go into another and live as long as they live. He's been living for over 2,000 years in lives of Christians, living his life through us. That's Christianity today. He reserves us. He said, I have the, reser- I have the right to reserve you, your body, soul, and spirit, that I will take my life and I will live it on this earth and it will be through you. Amen. Wow. Is Christ in you? It gets a little deeper, don't it? It gets, it gets really kind of uncomfortable when you start thinking about this truth. God is living in you. Jesus is living through you. And the Spirit of God is living with you. We find when you get born again, people look at you and say, boy, you sure made a big change. Man, you know what? You cut your hair. You're wearing some modest clothing. Uh, man, I noticed that you get up and go to church on Sunday, and, and I noticed that, you, um, that you're just different. You don't talk like you used to talk. You, you know, I, I, can I just say this? You, you're improved. That's... Time out. That's not true. There ain't nobody in this room has the ability to improve your flesh. You're as sorry as a day gone. You were sorry on day one, you're sorry on today, and you'll be as sorry when you die. It's not the improvement that you have made. It's the indwelling Jesus that now is living his life in you, and what they see, they see Jesus. Amen. That's right. It's easy to say amen this morning, but are, are we doing that? Do they see Jesus? So, so when somebody says to you, boy, you're doing really good, please don't take that credit. Yeah, I really am, man. I got saved, and boy, I got baptized. I'm really going to church. I'm really trying to do better. I'm really trying to do right. I'm really trying to get my act together. You're a liar. You ain't doing any of that. Because Christ Jesus in you, they see him and not you. And that's what makes you good. There's none good, no, not one. That's right. Amen. The only way you're going to be a good wife is if Jesus Christ dwells there. The only way you'll be a good husband is because Jesus Christ dwells there. The only way you'll be a good father, a good mother, a good member, a good church worker, I mean a good worker, I mean to be a good person, Jesus Christ dwells in you. They're not looking at you. If they look at you, they'd puke. But when they see Jesus, they say, bye. What an improvement. Jesus is reserving you to live his life through you while on earth. 
I'll tell you a second thing this morning that kind of gets all uh, out of whack. It says, you say, uh, really, you say, I'm not better. I'm not better. Because you made a profession of faith, because you come to church, because you do this and do all that, you're not better. No, no, no. So many people say, well, I'll tell you what, you're getting better now. You're getting better. No, no, no. It's they see God. God is what's better in me. There's no good thing that dwelleth in me. I am what I am by the grace of God. I just say this morning that there's nothing in me that makes me good or better. It's God in me and what people see God through me. Then they say there's something there. Amen. Oh, so many times, though, we show the devil. Sometimes you show up on the scene and they see you and they say, Wow, what happened there? Oh, but God said, Jesus said, if you and I dwell in you, I'll reserve you for me. And that reserve, reservation means I'll live my life through you. So when people look at you and say, boy, you improved, no, they see me. When people say, boy, you've gotten better, no, they see God. No, it's God. You say, boy, I can't hardly stand people when I talk to them. And they say, boy, you know what? I've been watching your life and you really are changing. You're really becoming a very, a very... Uh, person that's uh that's very respectable and honorable and they say it's not me brother it's god in me they say oh that guy is spiritual he's so spiritual he's so earthly and no good that guy there he thinks he's he's all up in there when he says no it's not me it's jesus in me we let them think that amen but you tell them who it is that's causing you to be whatever you are now, if you're going to act like a heathen, you act like a fool, go ahead and tell somebody, that's the devil. <laughs> Have you heard anybody say that before? They're out there acting like an idiot, yelling and screaming and cussing and raving and acting all that kind of stuff. They try, hey, hey, don't worry about that. I'm just a devil. Oh, but when, friend, we want to find good and better and our lives is right with God and, boy, the world is noticing it, boy, we want to say, oh, that's God. But you're not saved this morning. The other end of that is the devil. We find thirdly that you're not good, you're not better, and you're not improved. They see the Spirit of God in you. They see God in you. They see Jesus in you because you've been reserved. Christ in you or you're a reprobate. Either Christ has replaced you or you're a reprobate. Or... Christ has reserved you or you're a reprobate. And lastly and thirdly is that what happened when you Christ indwell in you is he became ruler of you. Jesus does not dwell anywhere unless he's in charge. He doesn't go anywhere unless he's in control. And he doesn't at all need not one ounce of our help in his ability to control. When he comes in, he comes in and he takes over. And when he comes in, he doesn't negotiate. When he comes in, it is him and him alone. You see, this life that we have this morning isn't Jesus helping you live the Christian life. It's Jesus living the Christian life in you. So don't think you're helping Jesus. You know, like this morning, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to help Jesus to make sure that I get my life in order. I'm helping Jesus by reading my Bible. I'm helping Jesus by praying. I'm helping. No, you're not helping Jesus. He doesn't need your help. He's got it well under control. 
You don't need Christ in you to live your life. Does that make sense? You don't need Christ in you for you to live your life. If you're in this audience and you want to live your life and you want to live it out, then you don't need Christ. Christ only is in those who He can rule. He can control. He can be sovereign over. He is the ruler. He is the one this morning that doesn't need your help, doesn't want your help, don't ask for your help. He is the one who's ruling in you. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 says this, is the one, the Bible says that He is our life. The Christian life becomes about Jesus, not Jesus about your life. The Christian life is, becomes about Jesus, not Jesus about your life. It's His power that rules, it's His person that rules, and it's His present that rules. Jesus is how I live. Jesus is the life I live, and Jesus is who I live. That's the rule. He's not my example. He's not my my model. He's not my trainer. He's in me, and He is the life that I live. We find in this rule that Jesus Christ is in charge, He's in command, and He's in control. Now what if Christ is not in you? What if He hasn't replaced you? What if He hasn't removed you? What if He hasn't reserved you? And what if He hasn't ruled you and He's not ruling in you? Well, the Bible says you're a reprobate this morning. And me saying that is this. He hasn't replaced you. He hasn't and he hasn't ruled you. In other words, you're on your own. You're doing, it, you're, you're doing it your way. You're living how you want to live. There's some in this room, maybe many others, I don't know, but you have chose not to be born again. You have chose not to become a Christian. You have chose not to be saved. You're a reprobate. And if you die that way, you'll die and go to hell. Is that the way you want to live? As a reprobate? If you've never been replaced with Jesus tonight, you're unapproved. You have no deserving of anything. You're unapproved in every way. You're unapproved of man. You're unapproved as a woman. You're unapproved as a potential husband, a potential wife. You're unapproved as a future father, a future mother. You're unapproved. You're unapproved as a person that's good or ugly, you're unapproved. You have a stamp upon your life, God puts a stamp upon you and says, unapproved. I have not replaced you, you have not allowed me in, I am not dwelling in you, you are unapproved. You're unapproved son, you're unapproved daughter, you're unapproved worker, you're unapproved citizen, you're unapproved. You're unapproved. Second thing that it means, if Christ has not reserved you, He's not indwelling in you, then you become a reprobate. You'll find that the Bible says uh, that you are worthless. You're no good to your family. You're no good to your, the, the church you attend. 
You're no good to the people you work with. You're no good to the society. You're no good to the community. You're worthless in every way. You say, brother, I'm offended of that. Well, get offended. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what has been written. And friend, if you want to change that way, you'll receive Christ this morning. He'll come into your heart. Don't get mad at me this morning. Don't get mad at God. You just come to repentance. And by faith, receive Jesus this morning, and you'll get out of that place. You say, I'm not worthless. I got some abilities. Okay. You're not going to fight with God and win. You're not going to outlast God. If God says in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, He says, if Christ is not in you, then you're a reprobate. That means you're worthless. That means you're worthless. I don't care how much praise your mama puts upon you. I don't care how much honor your daddy puts upon you. I don't care how much your wife and your husband. I don't care about your children. I don't care President Biden. I don't care if your worker, the president, the owner. I don't care your friends and family. I don't care all that. Just say how wonderful, great, and glorious and grand you are. God said you're worthless. <laughs> you're unapproved. And lastly, if he doesn't rule your life, you're rejected. Now these are cruel, hard to take truths. Rejected. You're rejected for heaven. You're rejected to live a life of decency and honor. You're rejected. You're rejected. And a lot of people today think about this rejection. For example, uh, they're rejected and so they go out and say, okay, I would like to get a business that has Christian morals and I'd like to be part of a Christian group because I know they do right and I know they treat me right. You're rejected, friend. You're rejected from that. People who are rejected say, I want to find a Christian wife or a Christian woman. I want to find one who's loving God and you're a reprobate, friend. You're rejected. You're not to get a Christian wife or a Christian husband. You're not to get in a Christian atmosphere or Christian companionship. You're rejected. So to be a reprobate is a pretty serious matter. Is Is Jesus in or is he out? You make that choice this morning. Let's stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How about you this morning? Christians ought to be praying. And those who don't have Christ this morning ought to be running to God this morning saying, I want Christ in me. I want Christ in me. But if there's anything you want in you today, you want Christ. Christ. Christ, have you been replaced? Have you been reserved? Have you been ruled? Is Christ living in you? Is he living your life through you? Is it him today that all matters? It's him. We pray this morning. You sing, Brother George, and if anybody else would like to come, you come. It's time to know yourself. It's time to know yourself. Is Christ in me? That's the question.
is Christ in me. Is Christ in me. Is he? Prove it. Examine. Yes, amen. Glory to his name. True Christianity is spoken of this morning. Yes, that's right. Christ in you. Christ in you. That's right. Amen. But as many as received him, he gave them the power to be the sons of God, even to them that believe. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, as many as asked Jesus to come into my heart, and you dwell in me, he said, I give you power to be the children of God. What power do you have this morning? God, work on our hearts. I'd pray tonight you'd come back. I'm going to preach on why. Why I'm not a reprobate. You might want to hear that tonight. Brother George, if you would, my brother, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer?
Choose and foreordain there to 